Okay, uh, good Sunday to be here. We're starting a new series. We take a topic and talk about it for several weeks. And with a little fear and trepidation, we are starting a series on mental health. I've never done a series on this before, and I'm hopefully learning a lot as I'm studying, and hopefully it'll be beneficial to you as I share that. So today's topic is myths, (laughs) false assumptions about mental health. And I want to start talking about mental health struggle that I had years ago, or my wife and I had. We um, been in the ministry about 13 years at that point. We just finished over four years serving as international missionaries in, the, in Portugal, as most of you know. And uh, we come back to the States, and part of your job for a year is to tell churches that are given money to support you there about the work there. So we're busy, my wife going one place, talking, I'm going another place. We have four children at this point. Our youngest is like two years old, and then we have a four-year-old, and then a, whatever, Josh, however old you were then. Anyway, 10 or 12, something like that. And we were in an apartment that people in Hagerstown arranged for us, family members, with borrowed furniture, because uh, you're only supposed to be here for a year and then go back. <clears throat> so during that year, it became clear to us that God didn't want us to go back to Portugal, so we thought maybe we're supposed to go to another country because we thought we'd be international missionaries our whole career. And we tried to transfer this country, and that didn't work. Two different countries in Africa, neither one of those worked out. But in that process of all this turmoil, we, my wife and I started butting heads. Uh, we had marital conflict. Those of you who are married might understand that word, marital conflict. Anyway, about... Uh, 10 or 11 months into that, that year, my wife comes back from driving around. She said, I'm looking for a place to live, for me and the kids to live, meaning separate from me. Of course, it took me, uh, shocked me, and I, I didn't know what to do. And, and so my mindset was, I've been a pastor for 12 years at this point, all right? And I just felt like as a pastor, not only a as a Christian first, but not only as a pastor, but as a missionary, I should be able to do the marriage thing. Should be able to do that, right? <clears throat> and uh, didn't work out that way. So my wife had suggested I might not have done it, but I had a friend uh, who was a nurse from the church I grew up in, and she suggested I go to counsel. We go to counseling, so I suggested my wife, and we did, and we started working on our marriage with a counselor. So we didn't have peace of mind. We had conflict, and we couldn't fix it on our own, by ourselves. <clears throat> now, maybe not exactly to that story, but you probably, all of you can, can relate to conflict, uh, mental stress, uh, anxiety, uh, whatever it might be. So here's my prayer for us. This is from Paul's writing to, to the church in Thessalonica. He's written this letter, we call it five chapters. This is the last thing he says after he's written all these different other things. He says, now may the God of peace make, your, make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit, soul, and body, spirit, soul, and body, we're not just bodies, Be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. 
God can and will bring healing, but it doesn't happen automatically, does it? And I love that term, God of peace. And I had the first service do this. Can we say that together? God is my peace. God is my peace. All right. Now, the church hasn't done a very good job with mental health over the years. Somebody was sharing between services that even culture hasn't done a really good job. Uh, you know, the, the images, you know, the horrible mental institutions or something. Um, so culture is doing a better job. I think the church is doing a better job, but we certainly can improve. Now, those of you who have been Christians for a while, you probably know there's a verse, Romans 8, 28. And that verse says, all things work together for good. Wonderful promise, and it's true. But when you're suffering mentally, and somebody says, well, God's going to work it all out for good, does that help? No, it doesn't help. See, it's incomplete, if you will. Uh, let me illustrate this way. When you become a Christian, and you're growing in a Christian faith, you automatically get six-pack abs. Somebody laugh. Or do you automatically get an 800-plus credit score just because you're a Christian? Um, do you automatically have good relationships? Um, see, do you just get a full head of hair just because you become a Christian? I mean, the list is endless. Do you just automatically have a positive bank account? No. So, it's incomplete. So how would you rate your mental health right now? See, mental health isn't static. It's, it's fluid. It, it, it changes, right? We're going to talk about trauma one of these Sundays. And when you have trauma, it changes your mental state, doesn't it? So up until the 13th year of marriage and we had our struggles, if you had a mental issue, I would say, well, you just need to pray more. Or you need to read your Bible more. Or maybe you need to do, you know, volunteer, do some volunteer work. The reality is that our minds affect us in a big way. What we think determines how we feel. You think positive thoughts, you're feeling positive. You think negative thoughts, you think negative. And our feelings determine our actions, don't they? So we're going to spend some weeks talking about this, different topics. Um, but I want to address two myths or misconceptions that I think the, suffer the church has suffered over the years. Getting better, though. The first one's this, pretty huge. Christians shouldn't struggle with mental health. Fall into one or two categories if you're struggling mentally. One is you just don't have enough faith. If you just had enough faith, God would heal you of whatever mental distress problems you might have. On the other hand, it's that you've got sin in your life, and that's why you're, you're suffering mentally. And if you just, you know, deal with that sin, then you'll be okay mentally. Now, there's all kinds of examples in Scripture proving this wrong. Talk about Elijah. He's one of my favorite. He's an Old Testament prophet, and he's, he's God's man for the time, right? Um, in fact, it wasn't a very spiritual time. He has this uh, competition, if you will, on top of this mountain with, eight, I think it's 850, at least 800 pro false prophets, okay? They claim to be prophets, but they're false prophets. They're not prophets of the living God. And Elijah's the only one. So he's got odds of 800 plus 
to one. And of course, you know this story, forms this, God performs this miracle and proves God faithful. And text says Elijah kills all these false prophets, which is kind of strange. But anyway, uh, hadn't rained, he prays for it to rain, and he prays and he prays, and eventually it starts raining, and he, he runs, tells the king to, to get back to Jerusalem, and he runs back to Jerusalem. And so, okay, he had just faced down over 800 false prophets, right? He gets back to Jerusalem, and the queen, Jezebel, says, before the day's over, I'm going to kill you. Now, ladies, he's more afraid of a woman than he is 800-plus men. I don't know what that tells you. But anyway, he runs off into the desert about 100 miles. He sits down and says, God, I just want to die. Now, I would put Elijah's faith over most people's faith that I know, maybe everybody I know, certainly over mine. Yet, Elijah got to the place where he wished he would die. We would say he was severely depressed, wouldn't we, in our our terminology. Uh, We could talk about David. We could talk about Jeremiah. It was like Jeremiah can say, hey, Jeremiah, tell the people, uh, God's going to carry you off into captivity, but it'll be okay. Your children's children will come back to Jerusalem. What, what, what message is that? So, bottom line, you just need more of God, right? Now, we do need more of God. I'm not saying we don't. But you may need Elijah's interesting story. You know what Elijah, God does for Elijah? He says, okay, I, 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 you need to eat and you need to take a nap. In fact, you need to eat twice and take two naps. That's how God initially dealt with Elijah. So you might need to take a nap, or you might need to take some sustenance. Of course, nowadays, you may need to go to a counselor, to a psychiatrist, or to a doctor prescribe some kind of medication for you. Struggling with mental health is universal, whether you're a believer or not. And Christians struggle just as much as everybody else. Myth number two, God doesn't really care about your mental health. Um, It's kind of a weird thought, but there's all these Psalms that talk about positively and negatively about our mental health. So one I really love, and I didn't put on your outline, I want to read to you. It's Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Does that sound like mental health issues to you? Sure does to me. God doesn't abandon us in those situations. But I did want to look at a fascinating psalm. It's Psalm 88. The guy that wrote this was a spiritual guy. Heman is his name. Uh, he was a musician. Uh, musician. Uh, he was also, you consider him like a deacon in the church or whatever. And he writes this psalm. Now, the fascinating thing about this psalm, I didn't check this. Somebody figured this out. 150 psalms, two psalms end on a negative note. They don't end with something positive. They don't end with the answer. And Psalm 88 is one of those two psalms. And again, this is a spiritual guy, leader in the, leader in the synagogue, we would say church. So notice what he says. He's pouring out his heart. O Lord God, who delivers me? So he's proclaiming God as his deliverer. By day I cry out, and at night I pray before you. 
listen to my prayer. Pay attention to my cry for help. He goes on, I am overwhelmed. Ever feel overwhelmed? I certainly do. I'm sure we all can relate to that, right? I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. He goes on, I'm as good as dead. Like a strong man with no strength left. They've left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten. Never feel forgotten. Forgotten by others, forgotten by God. Cut off from your care. Now he's expressing his feelings. Now we always do in counseling, feelings are real. They're not always justified. But he's feeling this. I don't know what, why, what the reason is. And anytime he's going to talk about being in the dark, anytime you're in the dark, what, what do we, you and I need to do? We need to look for the light, right? Look for the light. Uh, skipping down a few verses, he said, but I cried to you for help again. In the morning, my prayer comes before me, for you. Oh, Lord, why do you reject me? Ever feel rejected by God? Certainly feel rejected by other people. And pay no attention to me. Ever feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? God wasn't hearing? So he's really confronting God with his anxiety, stress, worry, whatever it might be. And then the last verse. Remember I told you, I warned you ahead of time. It's not going to end on a positive note. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. I'm all alone. Darkness is my closest friend. Ever feel that way? He's being honest. What do you do? You get help. He cried out for help. So I put in your outline, getting help isn't a sign of weakness. When I had that marriage problem, that's what I thought. Ah, pastor missionaries don't, don't, they're not so weak they need to get somebody else's help. No, it's a sign of wisdom. And thankfully, I was wise enough to seek help, my wife and I. So, Jesus talking about what's kind of priority number one for us as Jesus followers. And if you're not, um, hopefully this information will be helpful to you. Um, reading from Matthew 22, said this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your, what's the last word? Mind. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, you probably... At least try and love God, God with all your heart, don't you? All your soul, however you interpret that. But how do you love God with all your mind? How do you do that? I came across this statement and it really made me think. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. My life is moving in the direction of my strongest thoughts. So I did a little study about your brain, I'm going to two minutes on your brain. At the time of birth, your brain starts to make these connections. We call them neural pathways, all right? Millions of them, all right? After a certain amount of time, your brain gets smarter, and they, have, they call it pruning, and it starts to see patterns in these neural pathways. 
this is good because once you think something once, it's easier to think it a second time in some way of, of learning, right? Now, so when those things are, those, those connections are good, it's good. It's, it's, it's described as a rut. You're in a good rut. But when those thoughts are bad, then you're in a negative rut. And so, when your body's unhealthy, what do you do? Go to a doctor, right? So when your mind's unhealthy, what do you need to do? You need to seek help, whether it's from a psychiatrist or a doctor or a counselor, or maybe your small group. It's a wonderful place to help with your mental health. Isaiah. Tremendous promise in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah's writing, he says this, you, God, will keep in, this next phrase is one word, perfect peace. All who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now, I've got to think about that. What are our thoughts fixed on? Now, I don't watch the news. Some of you watch the news. That's fine. But if you watch CNN or if you watch Fox, you're really watching the interpretation of the news. So I have a source of, I think, objective news that I read. And it takes me five minutes a day, maybe. I don't want my thoughts fixed on, and most news is negative, wouldn't you agree? If it was all good, people wouldn't even watch it, probably. So I got thinking, what is my mind fixed on? Now, Isaiah describes it as perfect peace. It's really the word shalom. You heard the word shalom? It means peace. But it's not just shalom, it's shalom, shalom. Now, it's not doesn't have the impact of shalom twice. It has the impact of shalom multiplied, if you will. That's why it's described or translated perfect peace. It's like shalom of all shaloms. You will have this. Trusting in God if our thoughts are fixed on Him, right? Again, it's not instantaneous. This is a step in the process. The uh, Hebrew word is shamak. And it literally means, bring that up, to prop or to rest your full weight on an object. So, shalom means I, I, I rest my full weight, my mental stress and anxiety on my Lord and Savior. The Bible talks about, about renewing your mind. It talks about a, sort, a possibility of being stable. Now again, this is the process and it involves a lot more. I'm not a psychiatrist or anything. It takes all, all kinds of professionals to help, uh, depending. I thought about addictions. I, I know two people right now that are in uh, uh, places for recovery from addiction. Peter, writing on this topic, says this. For his divine power has bestowed on us Absolute everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life. You like to have a dynamic spiritual life? I certainly would. And godliness through true and personal knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So, it's in our interpersonal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Now, what's so important about that? You have to know God's nature. 
I can perfectly trust my wife because I know her nature after 45, 46 years, right? So we have to spend time with God to get to know him, to get to know his nature, his character. Can I really trust him? Will he really keep his promises? Will he really give me help if I ask? Here it says he gives you everything you need. Again, it's not automatic. It's a process. And I talked about our marriage. Our marriage was, was first time we had to see the counselor. Oh, it's all fixed. No, you go week after week and you do what the counselor says or you try and you two steps for, three steps forward, two steps back. And, but you're making progress and, and not weeks, but maybe months later, your relationship is healthier. You're mentally healthier. Uh, next, we're going to talk about anxiety. And I've got a whole new perspective on anxiety that I never had, had before. Jesus, on the last night of his life, he's got less than 24 hours to live, all right? He's with his disciples. He's, he's teaching them the final things he wants to teach them. He talks about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's going to come. But it's interesting what he says about the Holy Spirit. This is in John chapter 14. He says, peace I leave with you. Now, wait a minute. Jesus, you're going to die, which is going to bring tremendous anxiety on the disciples because they thought you were the Messiah, you're going to set up your earthly kingdom, and now you're dead. What are they going to do? He said, no, 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 I'm leaving you peace. Here's that term again. Perfect peace. Shalom, shalom, I give to you. Not as the world gives. You can't get that kind of peace from the world. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. My perfect peace, let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance. And boy, they didn't know what was coming, did they? And give you courage and strength for every challenge. He said, this is the gift I'm giving you. The gift he gave to them, he gave, and he gives to us. So here's the reality. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. Don't we wish we didn't have any problems? We have problems. So that's just, you know, putting your head in the sand. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems, but in the presence of God. And probably most of you have experienced uh, this unusual calm or peace in, when things around you are going crazy. How does that happen? Of course, sometimes we get crazy with it, don't we? Part of the reason is we have an enemy, if you're a Jesus follower. And he doesn't want us to be at peace, does he? And so spiritual attack is real. I don't see Satan behind every, every rock. But satanic attack is real. So that's part of the struggle. That's part of the battle. But fear is a big deal because the source of much of our lack of peace, mental uh, uncertainty, is fear. And so, Timothy is writing, he says this about fear. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear does not come from God. When I'm experiencing fear, there's some other source. Natural source, supernatural force. God's not given us a spirit of fear. But notice what he's given us. Power. And sometimes, especially when we're struggling mentally, we fear powerless, don't we? You know, I'm giving you power and love. You are deeply loved. 
And notice this last term. Different translations say it differently, but here it says sound mind. Sound mind. Some translation says self-discipline. So how do we have a sound mind? It is work. We have to put in the work to do the things, whether the doctor tells us, the counselor tells us, or the Lord Jesus Christ tells us. You and I can have a sound mind. So I want to end with the same verse we started with, Paul writing at the end of that letter to the Thessalonians. He says this, Now may the God of peace himself make you completely holy, and may your spirit, soul, and body, not just your spirit, not just your soul, not just your body, but all three, be kept entirely blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is trustworthy. You can trust him, the Lord Jesus. And he will, in fact, do this. He wants to be our healer. He wants us to do the healing work that we need to do. So, next step, homework assignment, whatever, whatever you want to call it. If you have the Bible app, the Version Bible app, you can do this on your phone. Um, they have reading plans. And they have a reading plan called Wisdom for Mental Health. It's easy to find. There's five readings for this week or the first week. There's a short devotional you can read, and then there's the passage of Scripture you can read. If you don't have that, you can read the Scriptures. You won't have access to the devotionals. So that's my challenge for you this week as we begin our work on our mental health is to do this mental health plan. Would you do that? Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, I thank you that you're not only interested in our spiritual health, that you want us to be forgiven for our sins and accepted into your family, but you're concerned about our physical health and our mental health and our emotional health. And God, as a representative of the church for many years, I ask your forgiveness that we've neglected this area, such an important area, what we thought is not important, maybe even belittled people that struggle mentally. Forgive us for our unsympathy or lack of compassion. God, we know that you, you're concerned, deeply concerned about our whole soul, mind, and body. And we don't, hopefully I haven't made this look, sound like it's simple. This is not simple. This is difficult. Often more difficult than physical healing. That just kind of happens over time. So God, you know these folks that are listening. You know their struggles right now. I pray this has been a, a message of hope, uh, a message that uh, helps people understand that you care and you're there to help and that others are around to help. And God, those of us struggling, I pray we would have the courage to seek help. We have the courage to share our struggles. Sometimes just sharing them with people that are compassionate uh, helps the healing process. And we do pray for anyone that's not a, a Jesus follower, not a believer. Today would be the day that you understand that your biggest struggle is with your sin and your broken relationship with God. And God has done everything to heal that. He sent His Son to 
Christ Jesus to die for you. He rose from the dead and conquered death and by faith in Him, just believing that, repenting of your sin, asking forgiveness, God will forgive you and invite you into His family. I pray that you would do that. Anyone that does that, please let us know so we might come alongside you and help you through the process. God, we thank you that you are present with us. You are for us. You empower us to do that which is honoring to you. Continue to speak through the remainder of this service. Let it honor you in Jesus' name.